morning, church. You're doing good? Give me a yell if you're doing good. There we go. Kia ora. And um, uh, how good is it to be in the house of the Lord? Hey, I enjoyed that kabahaka. Did you guys? It reminded me of, of being in school. I went to a Māori school down in Porirua, and so when the kids were doing the haka, it brought back so many uh, memories. I'm also excited about conference. As, as, as it gets closer, I, I feel the excitement just getting uh, bigger and bigger. So if you haven't made the decision to get along to conference, decide today. Okay, get along. It's going to be it's going to be so good. Just by way of introduction, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Connect Church. I've actually been coming to Connect Church for 14 or 15 years now. So a big chunk of my life has has been at this church, and I'm married with child. Um, not quite not quite married with children, but I'm married with a uh, child. I'm married to Miranda down the front here. Let's go. We we've been married for 13 years, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think sometimes, and. And we're at the point of our marriage where we celebrated our 13th year wedding anniversary by waking up on the morning of our wedding anniversary and forgetting that it was our wedding anniversary. It was like a minute into the day where we looked at each other and we were like, hey, it's our wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. And so I asked Miranda about that the other day. I said, oh, do you remember when we forgot our wedding anniversary a month ago? And she said, no, that was just you. I didn't forget. So she's putting the blame on me, but I'm adamant that it was both of us. We'll just settle it there. Okay, so, hey, I, it's been a while since I've, I've preached here at, at church, and so it's been a good couple of years, so I'm excited to, to preach with you uh, this morning. And I'm going to start with a, with a story, and I, I remember many, many years ago starting uh, at university. And when I started at university, not long into it, I, I decided to become a Christian. And when I became a Christian, it didn't make life any easier. Okay, it didn't make studying any easier. Imagine if that were the case, that you would give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden life would become easy. How many know that's not happening? How many know? And, and, and I do remember Miranda had this, this funny looking floral canvas print with a scripture on it. It was the hilarious, most hilarious looking thing. It was really bright, had flowers all over it, had a scripture on it. You might have one of these in your, your house, sorry if you do, but it, it had a it had a scripture on it, and that scripture was a scripture that many of you are familiar with, or, or at least it's probably one of the first, if not the first scriptures that you've memorized. And on this funny-looking floral canvas print was the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And church, more often than not, I would feel like throwing in the towel when it came to university. And believe me, there were, were times when I felt like, like giving up because here's the story. Halfway through university, Miranda and I decided to make like life even tougher and we went and got married. So two years into a four-year degree, we said, let's go get married. So we went and got married. And as a husband, all I wanted to do was provide. All I wanted to do was provide, but I was a student. I was without a job. And, and I was on the student benefit, which is what they called it back then. I think it's called something different now. But it was only about $100 a week, which really didn't go that far. And whenever I would feel like giving up, whenever I would feel like throwing in the towel, I would look up and I would see this funny-looking floral canvas print, and I would read the Scripture. And I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you, it didn't make me feel any better. It, it, it didn't... It didn't inspire me to want to continue studying. I certainly didn't get any warm fuzzies. But here's what it did do, church. It gently reminded me 
that God had me right where I needed to be, even if I didn't feel like it. So I was unemployed. At that time, I was a struggling student, but I was a husband, and I wanted to provide and be the best husband possible, and God had me exactly where he wanted me to be. And the reason I share that with you is because last week, Pastor Adam, in a sermon, said these words, God wants to use you right now. God wants to use you right now, wherever you are. And that resonated with me. And as that began to to sink in, I thought to myself, well, we need to come to the party too. We need to come to the party too. What do I mean by that? Well, God might want to use me right where I am, but I also need to be intentional. I need to make some decisions along the way. And I knew that God could use me as a struggling student, but how many know if I sat back and relaxed and said, I'm going to close my books, sit back and not study, how many know that the grades are going to come through, but well, they're going to come through as failed, right? We need to be intentional about where we want to go. And church, this morning I've titled the sermon, Get Moving. Get Moving. Not, not now, I need you to stay where you are right now, but get moving. And, and I think in order for us to get moving, we, we need to get intentional, right? We need to get intentional. And being intentional means deliberate and being, doing things deliberately and, and purposefully in our actions and our thoughts and our behaviors. And it also requires some clarity about what you want to achieve and where you want to go. In some cases, not all, it requires setting goals. Ugh goals. I'm not a goal-oriented person, so I struggle with that. But sometimes it requires setting goals and creating plans and acting towards achieving those. And don't get me wrong, I'm aware that that's easy to preach from the pulpit, but really, really hard to do. You see, intention is, is good, but it's merely just a thought, okay? Intention is good, but it's just a thought. Let me give you some examples. I intend to be a good husband, right? Am I? Well, that depends on my my decisions, it depends on my actions. And missing a wedding anniversary isn't a good start. Okay, any husbands out there take note. I, I intend to be a good dad to, to our son Noah, so I give him the time and attention that a that a toddler needs. I'm not perfect, Miranda will amen, hallelujah that. But there are decisions that I make that help me become a better dad, like walking in from a day's work and home and putting my phone at the the front door on silent, out of sight, out of mind, so I can give Noah the undivided attention that he needs. Christians, we believe that prayer is an important tool for communicating with God, but it still requires a deliberate action and an intentional effort to put aside time to pray. You know, we know from the Bible that God is intentional. God is intentional. And everything he does, he does on purpose and according to his well, in Colossians 1.16, I think the scripture will come up. It says, for in him all things were created. All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Doesn't that speak volumes of intention? You see, being intentional requires some level of decision-making. Again, I want to be a good father, so I have to make decisions along the way that help me to be a good father. And if that's true, then it means the decisions that you and I make are really, 
really important. And so if I want to talk about intention today, then I really also need to touch on the topic of decision making. You see, the decisions that we make affect our destiny, and that determines our destination. When we live with intention and purpose, our destiny is not left in the hands of chance, but of choice. And it's ultimately a choice that you can make. And of course, not making a decision is actually still making a decision, right? Do nothing is, is still a decision. When I prepare a business case for a customer, I'll always put the option to do nothing. Why? Because, well, it's still a decision. In First Kings, Elijah presents a message to the Israelites, and this message that he presents requires a decision. And so Elijah is trying to shake Israel out of their moral and religious complacency. And so he asked them a really, really simple question. In the scripture in 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah went before the people and he said this, How long will you waver? How long will you wobble between two opinions? It's just a question that requires a, a decision. And if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And here's what the people did. People said nothing. The people said nothing. Our decision-making or sometimes lack of it determines who we are, what we are, and what we become. You know, the, the, the decisions that you and I make make up our lives. Our, our lives are the total sum of our decisions. Okay, let me give you some numbers because I'm a numbers guy. Research would suggest, and I don't know how valid this research is, but we're going to go there anyway. Research would suggest that you make up to 122 conscious decisions in a single day. These are decisions where you stop, where you think, and where you perhaps consider the risk, and then you decide. 122. Anybody, anybody think they're more than that or less than that? 122 conscious decisions. The number of unconscious decisions is in the vicinity of a single day, about 35,000 decisions. Church, that's a lot of decisions in a single day. But the majority of those unconscious decisions that you make have little to no real consequences, but for the ones that do, for the conscious decisions that make up who you are, that make up a big chunk of your life, my question to you is, how are you approaching them? And of course, what might be an unconscious decision for me might be an, a conscious decision for, for someone else, right? What it blows my mind when Miranda does our meal planning for the week. Any meal planners out there? She will, she will stare at a piece of paper for what seems like an hour trying to plan our meals out for the week. And I can see her just processing and figuring out what to have for dinner. And I can see her struggling. And she'll look up at me and she'll say, what should we have for dinner at, on Tuesday or Wednesday? And I'll just say, without even thinking, the first thing that comes into my mind, in most cases, it's chicken or fish. So, so what's an unconscious decision for me might be a conscious for a decision for, for someone else. And we also have to be careful not to over-spiritualize decisions. Don't get me wrong, we need to have faith, right? We need to have faith that's, that's an important. But it's like that guy who needs a job. And he's faithfully sitting on the couch waiting for a job to arrive. And he's not updating his CV. He's not looking on the internet for a job. He's not networking. He's just faithfully waiting and faithfully sitting on the couch. And rumor has it that guy's still waiting for a job today. You see, church, God's not going to update your CV, but he's given you the ability to write. 
God's not going to network on your behalf, but he's given you the ability to speak. God's not going to search the internet for a job for you, but he's given you the desires in your heart for the type of job that you want. And church, as we talk about decisions, again, I'm aware that it's easy to preach from the pulpit, but a very, very hard thing to do. Decisions can be difficult. They can be challenging. And church, I've been there. I'm preaching out of my own experiences here. Okay, there are a number of reasons why I think decisions, good and wise decisions, are really, really hard to do. And honestly, we we can't cover them all in a single sermon. We'd need like a 15-part series. And what I want to do today is I want to share a, a couple or just a few of those. And I've chosen these because it's something that I've struggled with in the past. And maybe you've struggled, struggled with these too. But I want to start with the first reason as to why I think good and wise decisions can be difficult. And that's procrastination. Procrastination, the ideas killer. Anyone battle with procrastination? Or is it just me? We've got some honest people here this morning. I don't know why we procrastinate. I actually don't know why. If if we knew if I knew why I would I would I would preach about it and I would tell you why, but I actually don't know why. And I do want to be clear there is a difference between procrastination and processing information. How many times have we said we're just processing information, we're just considering the options when we're actually just procrastinating? The funny thing about procrastination is when you eventually get around to what you were procrastinating about. You're like, why didn't I do that earlier? Why didn't I do that earlier? We had this um, windowsill in our home that had needed fixing for like three years. And it's a long time. And I remember looking at that windowsill every single day and thinking, man, that's ugly. That is ugly. And I did that for, for three years. And I came up with every excuse under the sun to not fix it. Okay, so the timing's not right, or I don't have the right tools, even though I did have the right tools, or it's raining today and I was going to do it today, or I'm waiting on a word from the Lord as to when to fix the windowsill, and eventually the time came around, and and I fixed it a couple of weeks ago for our wedding anniversary and present, (laughs) And, and once I fixed it, I looked at it and I said, why did that take me so long? Why did I put it off and... Of course, it's not finished. It still needs painting. So I'll give you an update in three years' time. (laughs) When we procrastinate, we're not only aware that we're avoiding the task at hand, but also doing so is probably a bad idea. But we do it anyway. Procrastination literally means to do tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes around, what do we do? Well, I'll do it tomorrow. And when that tomorrow comes around, well, we'll do it tomorrow. When I prep for sermons, why do I leave it to the last week, even though I've had four weeks leadway to prep? Not this one, okay? Just to be clear, all the other ones. I couldn't procrastinate about this message because I'm preaching on procrastination. But in serious moments of procrastination, when it really is detrimental to your health, to your life, to your relationships, and to your finances, when we stare at an unwelcome task and feel no strength, let's not forgive that God gives us the strength as we start doing. Church, the Jordan River stopped when the priests stepped in. The widow's oil flowed when she poured. The ten lepers were cleansed when they followed the instructions of Jesus. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The last three words of that scripture are so significant. Wherever you go, you got to go. Another blocker for making good and wise decisions is, is simply fear of failing. Fear of failing. We, we don't like to make mistakes. We don't like to get it wrong. We don't like to, to, fa- to fail. When sometimes we wait for everything to be perfectly aligned before we make a decision. But I think failure can be a good thing if you approach it from the right angle. Failure should be something that you learn from to be better or to be different. I remember, church, when I resigned from my first job out of university. And when you resign from a job, you normally send out a farewell email, right? You send out a farewell email to your colleagues and to the company with words like, I love working with you guys. I'm going to miss you. You guys rock. And of course, it's all a lie. You're leaving that job because you don't like the people there. But anyway, <laughs> I, I remember I remember when I resigned from my, my job and I took a different approach because what I did in my farewell email, and this went to, to managers and to partners, to executives, I listed the 10 big fails that I had in that, in that job in my career. The 10 biggest fails. And I'm going to read the last sentence of that email. This is quote on quote as I signed it off. I said, we all make mistakes. It doesn't make us stupid or it doesn't make us less of a person. Mistakes mean we're human. P.S. I won't miss working with you guys. No, I didn't, I didn't, just, I didn't say that. But everything before I said that. You know, I received so many responses to that message. People saying, man, it feels like a, a weight is off my shoulder because I feel like I'm in a job where mistakes are frowned upon. I think failure should be embraced. Failure should not be ashamed. And don't be afraid of stepping out and, and getting things wrong. A couple of years ago, I was tasked with leading communion here at Connect Church. And we had like a five-minute segment. And so I found a scripture and put together a little bit of a word for communion and came up and did communion. And after the service, Peter Riggle started walking towards me. And he had this look in his face. And I knew that he was about to give me some constructive criticism. (laughs) And so he walks up to me and he says, that was a good communion word. And I said, thank you. And he said, but you shared a scripture on cannibalism. (laughs) So I got it wrong. But I learned from him, from, from it and him. As we trust in him, he will delight our way. Psalm 37, 23 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Trust in the heart of the Father. His word, church, is a lamp unto our feet. Another blocker for making good and wise decisions is simply that we don't know how to. We don't know how to. It's like if you were to build a house, there's thousands and thousands of decisions, and it's like, where do you start? All of these decisions can be overwhelming. It can be tiring. I've been mentoring a young colleague at work, and he was faced with with what he thought was an impossible decision. And I said to him, you just need to break it down. Like, break it down into, into manageable chunks. If you decide to build a house, then, of course, you need to break that down. I need to make decisions around the foundation. I need to make decisions around... The, the structural components. I need to make deci- decisions around the aesthetics. You're breaking it down into something that's a little bit more manageable. I love what it says in Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. And it's important to understand the difference between priority and moral decisions. Priority and moral decisions. We're going to touch on this really quickly. Priority decisions are choices between right and wrong. There is no or little to no moral morality involved. Priority decisions are normally based on what you perceive as being of value. Do I stay up really late at night and watch the All Blacks even though tomorrow I'm going to be real tired? Probably because well, I, I value that. Do I, do I go on a date night or do I watch the All Blacks? The All Blacks I will not watch. <laughs> I will go on a date night because I perceive that as being of a higher value. Priority decisions usually have levels or options that range from good to best to better and, and so forth. And moral decisions, on the other hand, are between right and wrong. There is either a morally right or a morally wrong choice. And if you hold a Christian world view, chances are that our view of morality or morally right or morally wrong choices will be the same, if not very, very similar. When you see someone ripping off a customer at work, of course, you report it. You don't say, well, well, our company makes millions anyway, so I'm just going to let it slide. No, you, you report it. If the ability to make moral right choices boils down, church, I think, to whether we want to desire to walk in integrity. And I think that we don't wake up at the start of the day and say, well, I'm just going to be deceitful today, and tomorrow I'm going to be dishonest. We, we don't do that. We, we want to walk lives of integrity and if we don't know how to approach or, or make a decision then a good place to start is his word and, and really is it as cliche as it sounds it, it really is true right and, and I don't mean opening up the bible putting your finger randomly on a page and saying God speak to me I don't mean that because you will point to the scripture that says Jesus wept he will cry for you Okay, as, as cliche as it sounds, we need, to, we need to, to understand his word. We need to use his word as a, as a guide. Speaking of Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus was, was faced with, with three decisions. Okay, so three choices that he needed to make when he was tempted by the devil. And I want us to pause for a moment and think, what would have been the consequences if Jesus made the wrong decisions in that situation, how would that have affected the destiny of, of Jesus, but also the entire destiny of humanity? And so how did Jesus approach these decisions? And can you and I learn from it? I think, I think we can. And so I want to leave with you three principles of effective decision-making that can help you make those tough decisions that can ultimately help you to get moving and of course, you don't need to use these principles in every single decision you make. What are we having for dinner? I don't know. Let's pray about it. Okay, you need, to, you, you need to be smart about it. I think you know in your heart when you're faced with a decision that requires a little bit of thought or extra consideration. So be smart about it. We're going to read some, some scripture out of Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to walk through the story, verses 1 to 4. And it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Principle number one is live by the word of God. Live by the word of God. Jesus, in his response, said to the devil, it is written. In fact, in all of the three choices presented to Jesus, he responded with, it is written. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about the words that Jesus used. This is what he said. He had a great choice of weapons with which to fight with Satan, but he took none but a few simple words. It is written. God's word directed his decision and his response, and he didn't answer based on how he felt. He was hungry. Okay, he was hungry. He didn't base. Uh, he didn't answer based on how he felt. He he didn't procrastinate. Let me come back to you tomorrow on that one, devil. He didn't do nothing. His word needs to be foremost in our decision making. The scriptures are the manual for our life. If your decision contradicts scripture, then it's probably a bad idea. As we continue reading verses five to seven, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. Here we go again, church. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Avoid foolish decisions that test God. Principle number two, don't test God. Don't put yourself in a position that requires you a miracle to bail you out. If you're getting too close to the edge, you're positionally closer to needing bailing out. As we continue reading, Verses 8 to 11, it says, again, again, the, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you. He said, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. There we go again. It is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Principle number three, church, is God first. God first. Don't make decisions that reduce your worship to God. Don't get caught up in the, the rat race and chase phony gods. Put God first and serve him only. Jesus referred to the word of God each time he faced a difficult situation. Every time he faced a decision, he referred to the word of God. He knew the inner strength of a man wasn't enough. And we need the truth. We need the truth of his word to give us a moral backbone. And church, these three principles will not guarantee that you'll always make the right decision. You know, there's a saying, if you... If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that sounds catchy, but sometimes you do hit the mark. Sometimes it works out, but hear me out. Wouldn't you put something in place where you increase your chances of hitting the mark? 
Give yourself the highest probability of not making the wrong decision. These are ideas to help us keep close to God's plan and purpose in our lives. And remember, He's got a plan and He's got a purpose for you. He can use you right where you are. And if you forget that, get a funny floral looking canvas print and put it above wherever you are so you can understand that, so you can gently be reminded that He can use you. And as I think about this message, as I think about moving, someone once said, many people don't jumpstart their lives because they have nothing to jump to. In other words, why start the car if there is nowhere to go? You need vision. You need clarity. You need direction. And you need to be intentional. And that means being deliberate. It means being purposeful in your actions, your thoughts, and behaviors. And church, there's risk in moving. There's risk in moving because movement creates friction. And as you move, there'll always be stuff to work out along the way. There'll always be decisions that you need to make. But speaking from experience, speaking from experience, church, moving is much better than staying stationary. I can't help but think and leave you with the final scripture, which is 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. A really short one. It says, fan into flame the gift of God. Who has to do the fanning? You and me. Start moving. Make the changes you need to make. And church, let's get moving. Come on, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we just thank you, God, for who you are. God, this morning, we just honor you. God, we thank you that you give us strength. God, in times when we need to make decisions or are faced with seemingly impossible situations, God, we thank you that we can rely on you. God, we thank you that we can rely on your word. God, for someone here this morning, we thank you that you have sent us a gentle reminder that you can use us right where we are. God, in our situation, you can still use us. And God, this morning, we just wanna, we wanna come to the party, Lord. And while we acknowledge that you can use us, God, we also acknowledge that, Father, we wanna be intentional and we wanna get moving. My church, just as we close, you can keep your heads bowed and, and eyes closed. I just wanna ask a simple question this morning is, and, and that question is, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Before I close, I want to give everyone here an opportunity to make a decision. Make a decision to follow Jesus. And, and it's a, the best decision, church, that I've made in, in my life. And, and that's just simply saying, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And so I want to give everyone the opportunity here. I'm not going to get you to come up the front. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. So as a church, we can pray for you. Is this the day you need to make a decision to follow him? On the count of three. Would you put up your hand if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to accept him into your life? One, Jesus loves you. Two, this will be the best decision you'll ever make. Three, if that's you, would you put your hands nice and high so I can pray for you? Awesome. I see the hand over to my right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, when you repeat after me, let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for your son, Jesus. Today, I make a commitment to follow you. Would you come into my heart? God, help me. Help me to turn away from what I know to be wrong and make decisions that are aligned with your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, church, thanks for listening. I'm gonna hand it back over to Pastor Helen now. So again, let's get moving. Come on, put your hands together. That's a great word.